with another wonderful episode of NH Unscripted. I am your Daffy Duck-like host, Ray Dudley. We are coming to you from the Taj Mahal-like digs of the WKXL Studios in Concord. You can find us. Well, hang on a second. Let me back up. For all you folks who don't know, get out your transistor radios, put in your earphone, and then flip on over to the AM band. Find us at 1450 AM, then flip your transistor radio over to the FM band, and we are there at 103.9 FM. Both of those are Concord locations, by the way. And for you happy, happy, blessed souls in Manchester, we are at 101.9 FM. And this show, as well as all the other wonderful programs here at WKXL, can be found as well. For those of you who need a URL, just put that out there, because you don't know what a radio is, nhtalkradio.com. So, we're going to lay that right out there. I need to take a moment to thank my sponsor. That would be Lakes Region Fence up in Guilford. I love those guys. I love their work. All right. So, let me put this out there this way. You got your coffee in your hand, you're looking out your window, and you see this hazmat condition happening in your backyard. Safe Harbors is about to come out and warn you that that thing which you're calling a fence, it no longer is a fence. And now your neighbors are complaining. So what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. Go to LRFence.com. LRFence.com is a button out there where you can get a free estimate. They do it all. They do horse corrals, pool fences, property lines. They do it all. And, and, you're going to thank me for this one. You can actually scroll through all of their Rembrandt-like work. They have photos of all their work that they have done out there. You can just go out there, get your favorite adult beverage, and spend hours looking to what I call fence porn. Yeah, it's as close as I'm going to get to that FCC line. Anyway, we love Lakes Region Fence. We appreciate them sponsoring this show. If you need a fence, go out there. I mean, what are you doing? If you're listening to this show, you're not doing a lot. So go get your fence repaired. LRFence.com. LRFence.com. Thank you so much to Matt and his crew. Oh, we have an A-lister in the house today. Yes, we do. In the studio is Jim Rosenberg, attorney. Attorney. Yes, yes. Not because I need some counsel, although there may be some of that. Good morning, Jim. How Good are morning. you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. When the heavy boot of the government falls on your neck, Ray, I'll be ready. Thank With you, sir. With only fastballs for you. No counsel necessary today, I'm sure. But I like how you lean into that introduction. I wasn't sure what to expect. Yes. We talked before <laughs> I hear that the a lot. show <laughs> about the topics we might bounce uh, off one another, but I didn't get the sense you were going to lean in like that. that really? Was a treat. Really? That was a treat. Yeah, good. I know good. you don't know exactly what your, your your listening audience looks like, but but with that intro, I gotta I gotta think. It's pretty robust. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's all the folks at the home. That's who's everybody. Listening. It's listening. everybody. So I I need to apologize ahead of time because um, as you can probably tell, we do not quite have the uh, budget of Joe Rogan. Where so I can't offer you whiskey. I can't offer you any cigars. But I do have something for you. Hang on. Oh my goodness! I didn't know we were exchanging gifts. I have this old cigarette butt that I found out in the driveway, <laughs> and a warm bottle of Moxie, which has oh, been rolling around in the back of my this. car. 
This is amazing. How did you know that I liked it's Moxie? It's A-listers, baby. Oh, the A-listers. I can't believe the treatment here. I know. Out, I'm right? telling you. We do it all. I mean, there wasn't exactly Just blew my budget on that, by the way. This is good. So, I mean, Moxie is yeah. a local favorite, right? I, yeah, I mean, where, yeah. does it come from Maine originally? Is yeah, that the idea? Uh... Okay, <laughs> I think it's yeah, just, yeah, I mean, man, it's, yeah. it's the one of the historically most popular sodas that is out there. And I had a um, elderly relative who used to mix it with milk. Have you heard of this trick? I no. Yeah, I think that that's a time honored thing to do is to mix your moxie with milk. So in the home, we tend to put stronger beverages in with it. But uh, I'm leaving that there. It's a different type of mixer. <laughs> and is this really for me? This wasn't just a guy can have it? Yes, it's oh, not a prop. A, that this course. is unbelievable. I know. You're going to leave here with memories. Yeah, thank you. Memories. Thank you. Speaking of memories, I did ask Jim uh, what topics he wanted to cover today. Um, and he sent me over a list of email that... Um, of things that he thought we should talk about. So let me just kind of put those out there real quick. He wanted to make sure that I let you know he has been repeatedly recognized for his outstanding work as a criminal defense lawyer. Jim was the only attorney in the state of New Hampshire listed as a best lawyer in 2017 in all three criminal defense categories, general criminal, white collar criminal, my favorite, DUI criminal defense. He was also named to the Super Lawyers Rising Star list of area criminal defense from 2008 to 2014. Jim, thanks for letting me know those things and uh, passing that on. I didn't know you were going to say those things. (laughs) You did I'm over here blushing. What? What? Maybe you didn't tell me to say that. I might have made that up. Huh. (laughs) Or or you could have drawn it from our website, which just means that our marketing campaign's been an effective one. As a matter of fact, that is where I got it from. Cut and paste is a lovely thing. (laughs) Whatever it takes. Yeah, baby. Yeah. All right. So you have some incredible stories. Now, we do not have to talk law at all. I mean, literally, if you want to talk about what laundry detergent you use, we can go down there. But as it so happens, and you're an attorney, I was wondering if perhaps you had any stories of interesting DUI. I can only imagine where that's going to go. Um, you did have a story, though, about a murder in Concord that you sure. were telling me about. Well, why don't you tell me about that? Sure. Again? I'd be happy to talk about anything. I'm here to talk. Anything. Like, as I told you before, um, it's really all I've got going for me. Yeah. Um, my friends at Beaver <laughs> Meadow who connected you to me, you know, including Caleb, your great son, um, <laughs> um, did so for one and only one reason. Their thought that I would be loquacious what? on any loquacious. appropriate, appropriate Loquacious. Hang shout, on. shout out to the group at the Beef, by the way. Out here. Uh, uh, my friends at the Beef who put us together are such a great group, yeah. and they're going through a lot to support their effort presently. But Phil and Josh and everyone's golfing spirit animal, Charlie Lapore. Caleb, your great son, who with the team at Aces is responsible for nourishing do us great, yes. all year long. Are you getting any of the barbecue up there that I send down periodically? So I'm sure I do because whenever I walk in, and presently it's on a Monday night to play yes. the Simulator Winter Golf League, which is just a blast. Mm-hmm. The setup there is really excellent with two you know, state-of-the-art simulators yeah. and warm hospitality every time we go as well. I walk in and start my, my Mondays the same every time. It's by asking Caleb, your 
dear son yeah. what I should order tonight. And he <laughs> usually has a great recommendation of a special. He's frankly concocted. Yes, yes. He's and, very good at and, that. But there was some pulled pork on the menu this past I weekend. Know. I got the roast beef. but oh, um, what? Yeah, it, it was good. It was what? good. Yeah, he had some special sauce oh. on there. That. He and I like to cook up some barbecue and send it down there for the guys. Yeah. And they have a ball. This, we make our own sausage and uh, we send down ribs and oh my God. You so he uh, does Caleb owe his uh, culinary genius to you? He Is does that not. What you're saying? Just you're his taking... good looks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, and I mean, he's the talk of the beef, right? The, the handsome guy <laughs> yes. behind the counter. See, just his good looks. Of hole. course, of course. Of so course. I'd be happy to talk about my background in a couple of old cases yeah, and anything away. else along the way you might want to talk to. But um, you're right. I presently practice law and primarily, exclusively, my focus is defending criminal cases of all shapes and sizes. And that could be from a DUI or a motor vehicle event or domestic violence event or a modest drug transaction all the way up to a significant death case or sexual assault or computer offense. And now, so, you're a partner. Is that correct? I am. Yeah, I'm a partner at the firm. And I've got a number of wonderful partners and other colleagues at the firm that do a great many things. I happen to do criminal defense, but we do personal injury and workers' comp and wills and trusts and estates and probate litigation, family law and custodial and parenting issues, um, small business practice as well. Um, personal injury is a significant engine for mm. our, our firm as well. Um, and there's a lobbying entity that's connected to our firm too. And so we really do try to be all things to all people in New Hampshire communities and in Southern Maine and Northern New England as well when it comes to representing individuals uh, and entities to a degree um, confronting legal issues of a real range. And so I do criminal defense and head up our criminal defense practice group and have been there for, it will be 20 years this July, but before that I was a prosecutor at the Attorney General's office and I started there in 2000. I'm from Concord originally and I went to college at American University in Washington, D.C. and then law school at Northeastern in Boston. And my first job was at a really huge firm which no longer exists but was called Testa Hurwitz and Tebow where I was a very new junior associate coming out of law school. My dad was super pleased that I earned that job at all but I got there in that high skyscraper in the financial district in Boston and loathed it and and pictured myself engaged as you would as a lawyer almost on TV and so naive I think was my view of the job and myself in that job that I quickly became disenchanted with the work I was doing there. Put a pin in that one right there. We're coming back. You can hear the music. We're going to put our tap shoes on and tap dance out for us. We got to pay some bills here. Jim Rosenberg, attorney, is in the house with me today. You are listening to NH Unscripted. I am your happy-to-be-out-of-bed host, Ray Dudley. It's time for some Salisbury steak. I'm thinking we're going to come back, and Jim's going to regale us with some stories. was kung fu fighting you betcha 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 you are listening to nh unscripted i am your kung fu like host ray dudley and we are coming to you 
deep within the bunkers of the WKXL studios, buried deep in the hills of Concord, New Hampshire. You can find us at 1450 AM, 103.9 FM. Those are both Concord area locations. For those of you in Manchester, you can find us at 101.9 FM. And for those of you who either want the archives or to listen to us live, we come to you every Wednesday and Friday morning at 9 a.m. There's a button at nhtalkradio.com where we stream live and you can find the archives. I'll talk to you some more about that later. Attorney Jim Rosenberg is in the house, baby. We are raising the roof. Yeah, that's an old man trying to do something stupid there. Good morning, Jim, again. Good morning. <laughs> I'm going to open up this moxie. Is that yes, okay? Yes, you Unbelievable. can. Unbelievable. Let's see if we can get the sound of the, of the, oh, I don't know if I got it, but my attempt was there. Close and I heard it. So I was starting to talk about work stuff. You want me to pick up where I left off? Whatever. So I worked for a huge firm in Boston and immediately loaded the Boston job. Law. I saw the program. Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite like that, okay. and that's why I didn't like it. Yeah. And so promptly, I started looking for other opportunities and was very fortunate to get hired as a prosecutor as a very young lawyer at the New Hampshire Attorney General's office. And the Attorney General at the time was a guy named Phil McLaughlin, a wonderful guy who'd previously served in, as a county attorney in Belknap County, um, then Governor Gene. Shaheen had appointed him to be the attorney general, and I was fortunate to be among his young prosecutors hired to work for him. And I worked in the criminal bureau and started doing white-collar prosecution or public integrity prosecution, but then the Catholic Church scandal broke. Um, mm -hmm. The archdiocese in Boston was um, struggling with news of, of generations of clergy who had um, sexually assaulted young parishioners and then been moved by diocesan management from one parish to another and Phil, that. the attorney general at the time, asked a thoughtful question of himself, what are the chances that this problem stopped at our border? And mm -hmm. the truth was, tragically, there was a significant problem here. And so he tasked me and another lawyer named Will Delker, who was a prosecutor I worked with there, to lead up the legal side of what was nearly a year-long investigation of the Diocese of Manchester in New Hampshire for failing to protect kids from sexually abusive clergy through the decades. And that investigation occupied our lives night and day and weekends for a year, and it culminated in an agreement which, looking back on it, was pretty historic, where yeah. the Diocese of Manchester acknowledged publicly that it likely committed the offense of endangering the welfare of children. We were on the eve of charging with them with that when they agreed to this agreement. The agreement, in addition to that concession, uh, also released their, quote, secret archive, which was literally a locked file cabinet in the bishop's anti office. What? Yeah, where they had priest by priest collected complaints through the years from police and um, parishioners and parents regarding conduct. Sitting um, in a file cabinet. Yes, correct. And in many instances had cut deals which required confidentiality of the victims involved and itself implicated legal concerns. And so we put together an investigative staff drawn from um, law enforcement agencies throughout the state who donated to us detectives to start to shake down and wow. find victims and find witnesses. And um, they agreed to the release of that secret archive, which was important to 
civil litigants, those pursuing their own civil suits for money damages against the diocese were fortified by the information which we released in that agreement. We also generated a report kind of chronicling the failures of diocesan management in that investigation focused on management itself, not an individual priest having committed an assault, though that was important and we referred those to the counties for prosecution. We focused on the diocese institutionally and its collective failure of management through the years to responsibly protect kids from abuse of clergy. And so that case ended further with a um, agreement that the diocese would submit to, I think, five years of audits to confirm that their practices wow. and their training and their report of new complaints were done consistent with what New Hampshire law required and what our agreement with them required. And from there, I was considering moving potentially on into private practice, and the attorney general at the time had a conversation with me about what I wished to do, and I said, I'd just like to do murder cases. And so I ended up in the <laughs> homicide unit with a number of just wonderful Sorry. lawyers yeah. working with an incredible good, incredibly good um, investigative group at State Police, the State Police Major Crime Unit. Um, it made some great friendships, but also had a wonderful opportunity to prosecute a couple cases, including a couple of intriguing homicide cases that occurred in Concord, New Hampshire, which is my hometown. So I was thrilled to be able to participate in cases that um, were impactful in the community where I live presently, but also grew up. And I went to Concord High, graduated in 1992. And one great case was called State versus Dwayne Thompson. It was a first degree murder case where the alleged victim was a famous Concordian. His name was Cigar Bob. And I bet many of your listeners recall Cigar Bob because he was a <laughs> larger fellow and was known to sit on the granite um, stoop right in front of Eagle Square. You yeah. know how there's that wrought iron tree yes. that goes to Granite Foundation? He'd yes. sit there and he earned his nickname Cigar Bob by spending much of his day there smoking a cigar and um, making funny comments. Like the, the ones I couldn't get you. I had to. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're happy with the moxie okay. instead. Right? Right. Small room would get pretty stinky if we started smoking cigars, I suspect. We'd upset everybody. Doesn't take cigars to make it stinky in here, let me tell you. <laughs> Just you and I might accomplish that on our own. So Cigar Bob was somewhat famous to those on Main Street, and he would frequent breakfast places like Caffinio, which doesn't exist presently, but used to be downtown, the Brown Bag Deli, and he had a roommate, a longtime roommate named uh, Dwayne Thompson. And Dwayne had a historic struggle with alcoholism and had cleaned his act up. And actually, his work involved counseling in the alcohol you know, industry. Um, and he tragically, in the weeks and months leading up to this murder, fell off the wagon and started struggling anew with his alcohol demons. Um, and a as he did, he lost his job as an alcohol counselor. And that created financial pressure in their shared apartment. Their apartment was right next to Eagle Square on Main Street on the third story above what was then Miltner's Shoes. Oh, my God. Um, it's now where Zoe's Bra Fitter is on Main Street. Huh. And it How was would I a, know that? It was a um, <laughs> third-story apartment, and they lived there, and um, um, they started struggling with one another because Dwayne, having lost his job and, and dealing with alcohol again, was intending to his part of the rent and other bills. And famously, they had these spats and arguments in Caffinio and Brown Bag Deli where people who knew them all 
also knew they were starting to struggle in tensions with one another. And then one day, Dwayne must have snapped, and he stole his roommate Bob's ATM card, went across the street on Main Street to an ATM, stole 100 bucks of Bob's money, and then went right down to a camping store that used to exist on Main Street. Um, and it was called High Peaks. It was owned by a woman named Patricia Borgard. Shout out to High Peaks. It was a wonderful um, camping store. It's not there anymore. And um, she bought a hand axe, a Gerber hand axe. And it was that hand axe he ultimately used to kill his roommate in their apartment um, on the third story what? above Main Street. He and just hacked him to death? Hacked him to death. In the end, um, Bob Proventure was murdered. He suffered 86 hatchet wounds, what? including over 30 to his head. All of this is publicly chronicled in a jury trial we did, but no one knew. It was a murder that occurred behind closed doors. There was no eyewitnesses, and Bob was left for dead there in the apartment they shared, and Dwayne, in the next couple of weeks, continued to live with a dead Bob Proventure right, right there. Totally disturbing. Oh, and my God. Dwayne starts to live high in the hog. He um, is buying jugs of cheap red wine. He's renting video porn from Home Vision Video, which used to exist up on the heights and we don't have these VHS stores anymore. Right, right. He joined the Eagles Club where he began to participate in the Dart League there. And so <laughs> he's drinking and smoking oh, oh cigarettes God. and you know gorging on uh, the community a little bit and also with the knowledge that his dead roommate remained in their apartment. And one day a mailman, uh, Dave Whalen, who used to do the Main Street route, shout out to Dave too, he was a wonderful guy, he had a friendly face on Main Street. He smelled something concerning coming from Bob you and Dwayne's apartment and alerted police and then Sergeant John Duval, who went on to be chief of Concord Police Department and he's now um, the manager of the security group at Concord Hospital, a wonderful guy, a dear friend of mine to this day. He responded on behalf of Concord Police, smelled something concerning and um, used his credit card to jimmy the lock of the door, open it up and sure enough inside, police found the corpse of Bob Proventure who'd been tragically murdered oh in that way. Oh my God. And Dwayne must have come on to the investigation as it was underway. He was out at the time police showed up and made this awful discovery and had the wherewithal to immediately flee. And he fled Concord and was missing for some time, I think a couple of years, at least a year. And everyone had a strong sense it was Dwayne. Investigators did an amazing job of going door to door, beating the streets. The Concord Police Department did a magnificent job. Put a pin in it, put a, uh, a cliffhanger. We have a cliffhanger, folks. Probably the first time on this show I've ever said that. Woo! It's time for some fried bologna sandwiches. Come on, Jim. Put on your tap dance shoes as we tap on over. Well, you might try to lace them up. I don't know if they'll fit you, but we're going to tap on out because we got to pay some bills. Man, this is riveting. You are listening to NH Unscripted. I am your on the edge of my seat host, Ray Dudley. We are coming to you from the Six Flags-like conditions of the WKXL Studios. 1450 AM, 103.9 FM. Those are Concord. 101.9 FM in Manchester or nhtalkradio.com. We gotta come back. We gotta come back. Hang on. Some of the mustard off my chin here from my fried bologna sandwich. You are listening to NH Unscripted. We were left 
Cliffhanger by attorney Jim Rosenberg. My name is Ray Dudley. Come on, you knew that. We are coming to you from the spa-like conditions of the WKXL Studios in Concord. I mean, we got it all here. We got hot rock saunas. We got warm towels. We we do it all, I'm telling you. Jim's got his moxie. What else can I say? We are coming to you from 1450 AM, 103.9 FM. Those are Concord-based. 101.9 FM for the Manchesterites. I'm not sure that's a real word, but I'm going with it. You can find the archives of this show, which I'm sure you're just dying to get out to, at nhtalkradio.com. Well, due to our crack team of investigators, we can now say with assurity that the Irish Rovers were correct. There were green alligators and long-necked geese some Humpty Back Camels and some Chimpanzees. We can put that conspiracy theory to rest. What do you think about that, Jim? It's a lot. Huh? It's a lot. It's amazing what you can find on Reddit. It is. <laughs> it is. Finish your story, my friend. Well, thank you. It's a treat to be here. I just had a slug of this moxie. Uh-huh. I didn't know we were exchanging gifts, but next time I'll know. Not that after all this, you'll ever invite me back. It's all Anyhow. about you, baby. It's all about you. So I was telling the story of Bob Provencher's murder. Yes. And after police made the discovery of Bob's body, Dwayne must have come across the active investigation and he fled. And he was among the missing. He, there was not a trace of him. Concord police and no witnesses in the town knew or had a sense of which direction Dwayne Thompson fled in. But the fact of his flight also made him a important suspect. And Concord police did an amazing job of going business to business to f- recreate the goings-on of these two, Bob and Dwayne, in their final week or weeks, and went into high peaks among all the other Main Street businesses to just simply ask the owner, Pat Borgard, have you seen Dwayne or Bob? And her answer is yes. Dwayne came in here recently and used cash to purchase a Gerber hand axe, and that obviously alerted police that that's the likely murder weapon, and they asked if she had another one because in the apartment where Bob was located um, and clearly where the murders had taken place, they found no murder weapon. Uh, they knew he'd suffered uh, enormous number of, of wounds, as I described, Oof. but they didn't have a weapon in hand. And so Pat happened to have purchased from Gerber two of those hand axes and gave the police as an exemplar the other Gerber hand axe. Not and to be confused with Gerber babies. No. Okay. Not at Got all. you. All not right. Just all. want to make sure. Um, thank goodness. And police, um, with the help of prosecutors, were able to direct that axe to University of Tennessee, where a bone doctor, we always called him a bone doctor, I'm sure is a fancier name for his profession, but he took the hand axe and he got a donated cadaver. Uh, donated deceased human and use that hand axe they also sent him Bob's skull cap which had approximately 30 wounds Good grief this went um, dark and, and Dr. Stephen Sims at University of Tennessee endeavored to try to figure out if that axe was indeed the one that caused Bob's death and he took the donated exemplar hand axe and slammed it into the donated cadaver the skull cap of the donated cadaver and then he looked at the wounds he created microscopically and noticed that some of the rust inhibitor had flaked off from the axe into the wounds on the skull. And then he also looked at Bob's skull and examined microscopically Bob's wounds and found identical flakes from the same type of rust inhibitor. And that's how investigators and us prosecuting the case were able to tie that Gerber hand axe at Pat Beauregard at High Peak, sold to the defendant, the bad guy, Dwayne Thompson, through the excellent expert work of this guy, Dr. 
Dr. Stephen Sims in Tennessee. He ultimately testified in the trial. All the while, by the way, Dwayne's still among the missing, and it took quite some time for Conquer police to try to figure out which direction he was heading in. And it turned out, they learned, that Dwayne was an identical twin. He had an identical twin named Daryl. And they came from a Midwest state. I forget for certain which one, but I think it might have been Minnesota. And so Concord investigators had the bright thought to contact that state's Bureau of Vital Statistics to see if anyone had requested Daryl's twin brother, Dwayne's identification information. And his sure other enough. twin brother, Daryl. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> if only that would have really put an exclamation point on this story, right? So sure enough, someone had recently requested a copy of Daryl, the twin brother's Social Security card and Veterans Administration card and requested that they be sent to a mail drop at a homeless shelter in Santa Monica, California. What are the chances of that? And that's how the case how? breaks. So Concord officers, I think if I have this right it was keith mitchell and brad osgood i think that brad osgood's the present chief keith mitchell's recently retired but was deputy chief in concord before he did retire those guys went out to california um didn't tell anyone they were going out that we told their bosses here of course but california authorities didn't know they were there they started walking up and down the beach in los angeles santa monica and sure enough they find Dwayne Thompson, the suspect in this first-degree murder on a park bench in, in Santa Monica. You could not write this as a movie. It's amazing. No one would believe that. I should be written as a movie because it's got all the twists and turns of a great one, right? Yeah. And so they then are stuck as conquered officers with no authority to arrest anyone in the state of California. No one knows that they're there, and they've located the suspect in a charged first-degree murder indictment, and they've got a problem. And so what do they do to solve that problem? What? I'm they went to a donut store to find a police. Yes, officer. of course they were. <laughs> and I love that detail. Wait, sure is that enough, true? Is that true? Swear to God. Yes, they went to a donut store to find a police officer, and sure enough, there was one. There was a are, on-duty dude, Los Angeles police me? officer. This is true. This is a true story. Her name was Leslie Trapnell. And they convinced Officer Leslie <laughs> Trapnell that they were Concord police officers, that there was an open first-degree murder indictment for the guy in the park bench. She believed them and arrested him and brought him to the Los Angeles Police Department substation in Santa Monica, where officers, Concord officers, are Concord officers, attempted to interrogate Dwayne Thompson, but he stuck to the story that he wasn't Dwayne at all, that he was his other his brother, Daryl. Daryl. Um, it's and the brother. they explained to him every way they could that they the jig was up, that they knew he was Dwayne, and they began the process of extraditing him and transporting him back to the state of New Hampshire, where ultimately Dwayne um, faced a first-degree murder trial, a jury trial, um, for the death of his roommate, um, um, Bob Proventure. And it was probably a week or two weeks long. The trial itself occurred, if my memory serves, in 2001. I tried to case with Brian Quirk. Brian Quirk was actually the lead in the case. Um, He's a wonderful lawyer, a prosecutor then at the AG's office, but more important to me now, he's a partner of mine also at Shaheen and Gordon. So a couple years ago, um, he came from another wonderful local firm to join our practice and has been part of our practice. Brian also does criminal defense, but he does some other more sophisticated federal defense and um, uh, agency um, law and things like that that um, is pretty interesting. So he's got a more 
eclectic investigative practice than mine, which is mine is more um, ham and eggs, criminal defense of all shapes and sizes. Ham and eggs, nothing. In, That's incredible in story. State court. So we tried the case over a course of a week, and we had many wonderful witnesses, include a lot of local people who were able to describe Dwayne's goings on in the weeks after this murder happened. Um, and thankfully, justice was served in that the jury returned a guilty verdict on a first degree murder uh, conviction. And that resulted in a mandatory life sentence without parole. So. so you were able to do that without actually having the murder weapon, just simply on, I don't want to call it circumstantial, but it was without a witness. There was it, no eyewitness and there was no murder weapon, but it was also an early DNA case. Uh, um, the New Hampshire State Police Forensic Lab has a wonderful history of doing excellent DNA testing. And back then they used DNA called um, PCR-based DQA1 and polymarker testing. Oh, yeah, I know it well. Which was a DNA predecessor to the current DNA testing they do. The current DNA testing they do is a lot more discriminating. It, it identifies DNA at a great number more more locations than the old testing used to. They did that type of testing. There was a challenge to the reliability of that type of DNA testing because it was one of the earlier homicide cases where that important evidence was offered at the jury trial. But what we were able to find is that um, there was a T-shirt in the trash can in the um, uh, kitchen. That T-shirt had clearly been worn by the murderer, Dwayne. And we knew that because there were linear cast-off blood patterns. So you can imagine as Dwayne is wielding that hand it's casting off blood uh, over the course of it, issuing over 80 wounds, casting off blood in these linear patterns. And so they were able to tell a serologist um, named Sue Faith from the state lab was able to opine that that the bad guy murdering Bob was wearing that T-shirt because those linear patterns, which would be made as you're wielding an axe, that blood was Bob's blood. And under the armpit, there was some skin cells, which had sloughed off. And they were able to do a certain warrant to secure samples of Dwayne Thompson's DNA. He was smart enough to get rid of the axe, but not his t-shirt? Correct. It was in the trash can. Go ahead. And Go he ahead. didn't expect anyone to come find in their apartment, and all of the old food containers he'd been eating and then throwing away the trash were on top of it. So he threw it away, but didn't get rid of that important Mom, piece of evidence. Mia, hang on. You are listening to NH Unscripted. I am your host, Ray Dudley. We are coming to you from the almost YMCA-like conditions of the WKXL Studios in Concord. You can find us at 1450 AM, 103.9 FM on your transistor radios. 101.9 FM in Manchester and this show and all of the other archives of the great shows that happen here at nhtalkradio.com. My 13-year-old brain is going to go where I don't think we should. Jim told me we could talk about Peckerville. We're coming back. And by God, we are just one toke over the line. Sweet Jesus. Attorney Jim Rosenberg is with me in studio today. He has some incredible stories. You are listening to NH Unscripted. My name is Ray Dudley. I am your happy-to-be-out-of-bed host wearing my PJs with the feet in them. Yes, sir, I am. You are listening to us either on 1450 AM 
or 103.9 FM on your transistor radios. Make sure the batteries are all good. Or 101.9 FM, that's Manchester, folks. You all know that. You can find the archives of this wonderful, wonderful, soon-to-be award-winning show at nhtalkradio.com, as well as all the other shows and programs that happen here at the studio. So I asked Jim to send me over a list of things he would like to talk about, and buried deep within the email, and my 13-year-old brain picked it up right away. He said, you know, we could talk about Concord's Peckerville. Of course, after I finished laughing to myself, I said, we're definitely going there. We're definitely. Jim, well, Concord has a an area called Peckerville? It did. It's got a it lost did. neighborhood. I think it's got a couple of lost neighborhoods. It'd be interesting huh. to do oh, yeah. uh, more <laughs> of think? a deep dive on them. Okay. But Peckerville existed up in East Concord off of what now is Exit 16 uh, 93. And I have to send a shout out to my family and friends because I've developed this interest in finding fun facts about this important but lost neighborhood in Concord. My dear wife Shannon and daughter Alice have put up with a lot of stories about this as I've uncovered them. And I love those guys, and their support is what causes me to be here and everywhere now. But also, my current golfing foursome in the Winter League at the Beeve, uh-huh. Kirk, Shane, and Cormac. Shout out to those guys for also absorbing a lot of stories about Peckerville in this interview. You're like so, our own Fritz Weatherby. <laughs> yeah, if only. I mean, I don't think I could quite live up to Fritz. He's a legend. Oh, yeah, exactly. He's a legend. You're soon to be after this show. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> so, in any event, a couple weeks ago, my dear friend Kirk, who I just mentioned, and I were at a Concord Eye Hockey game at JFK Arena over the holidays, and our friend Tom Philbrook, I don't know if you know Tom, I he's an amazing Concordian, a South Ender, father of hockey players, his youngest son Ryan right now is on his way soon to go to UNH to play hockey, quite Ooh. quite a significant accomplishment in the hockey world, Correct. anyone would know that. Um, in any event, I was uh, with Tom between periods, we were doing as sometimes people do, we went outside to have a beer. Oh, you and did? We did, me and Tom and Kirk, huh. and he introduced me to his friend Stuffy, and I don't know if you you know Stuffy? I do not. I don't know Stuffy very well. I've come across him from time to you time. Have, huh? He retired a couple years ago from Hi, NHD. Stuffy. A wonderful character. And I started um, talking a little bit about the historic shifts in family populations in Concord and how when I was coaching softball, I came to realize that a lot of families with chi- kids who play sports have peeled off the South End, a place they once, have, once may have lived in decades gone by. And there's still wonderful families there, of course, but of course. settled much more in East Concord in the beautiful new construction cul-de-sac neighborhoods that exist up there off Mountain Road, and I was complaining a bit about it in softball, how that made it difficult sometimes for us to compete, and, and he said, careful, I'm from Packerville. Dun, dun, dun. And I, I, I'm originally from Concord, born in Concord Hospital. I grew up in Bow, went to Concord High, and was ashamed to think that I had never heard of Packerville. Right, right. And stuff. I'm guessing it's related to woodpeckers. No, it's 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 related to the great and important but I think forgotten family named the Peckers. Thank you who, for that clarification. Um, individuals in their family made enormous and significant early contributions to the state and to the city. And who it's hasn't? Infrastructure, it's a government, it's um, culture, religion, and education. All those things were tough, touched by members of the Pecker family um, in Concord's early years. And so I didn't know any of those facts. And um, Stuffy started telling stories about hanging out with other kids from would. Of course Peckerville yes. at Merrill Park, where um, they would spear what they called suckerfish out of Kaka Brook. And I didn't know what he meant when he said they were spearing um, suckerfish from Kaka Brook, but it turned out, I think, that they were catching carp that would run 
from the Merrimack <laughs> up Millbrook and underneath uh, the store where there's a, now a market. Control. I'm forgetting the name of the market, but I hear they do a wonderful job. Um, and I started getting curious about what happened. And it yeah. turned out that there was um, a series of streets that in the 50s were taken away as they built and expanded 93 north and south. That was Peckerville. And members of the Pecker family are said to have a, a, assisted in the construction of the state house. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's true, but uh-huh. I found that on a Facebook page. Um, there was a woman, Mary Pecker, who was among the founding members of East Congregational Church, which exists this day off Mountain Road, across from what is called Pecker Park. There's a small memorial that stands in honor of the F- Pecker family, a granite monument there. There was a member of the Pecker family who gave land first to the church and then the city. It ended up being Merrill Park, one of the cherished gems of our park system in uh, great amenity in Concord to this day. There's a softball field and pool there and pond to fish and the like. That was originally land given by the Pecker family, as I understand it. Um, one of the um, Peckers assisted in the planning and construction of the third federal bridge in Concord. What? I think this is right. It's a bridge that crosses the Merrimack, I believe close to where like that brochure property is now, where the highway crosses uh, the Merrimack before exit 16. Yeah. I could be off about its exact location. I bet one of your listeners will correct me. Um, interestingly, the listener, um, they, they were uh, there was a pecker who was um, uh, responsible for helping to identify the first pastor in in the town of Pentecook. Um, in, in each of these ways, there were prominent peckers that played an important role in Concord's infrastructure and education and history. Um, there's a great story. You know the story of Hannah Dustin, right? Yes. Um, uh, a settler in a day gone by who was said to have been held captive by area Native Americans only to escape her captors and scalp one of of uh, those that took her. Well, has the story goes, and I could have this wrong, and forgive me if it is a little wrong, her husband, when she was first being kidnapped, heard the calamity, went to, from a nearby field where he was working, got his gun, and attempted to thwart her capture, but failed. Um, she ends up going on to the ordeal I just described. Well, that gun, apparently, gets handed down through the hands of the Pecker family. And as recently as 1900, one of the Pecker family members possessed that gun and conquered. And I don't know if any of your listeners know this story, if they might follow up in some fashion, because I'd love to I'm worried know someone that, does know this story. where that firearm <laughs> is presently. And so I was just so curious to know that, A, there was a neighborhood called Peckerville that no longer hmm. goes by that name, mm-hmm. B, that there were these types of meaningful and forceful contributions from these family members to our city, and C, that it's all but forgotten. Yeah, yeah. How do you think that happens? My, first of all, my apologies to the Pecker family if we've offended anyone. I, 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 Where, how does that happen? Well, no one should be offended by um, that name, and I, I don't know how that happens, but in this city, we've done a, a important job of memorializing many wonderful family names, the Deweys and the Conants and the Walkers, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and those those names, um, which are important to our town, have been memorialized on buildings and schools and streets and the like, but not many for the Peckers. And I fear that it's their name that in modern times causes them to be forgotten. And I just huh. don't think that we can run from our shared history like that in Concord. And I hope that <laughs> by talking about it in this fashion, we can memorialize this the contribution fashion, of this family. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got to rein myself in here. I got I to rein myself in. That is correct, Jim. I, I think that they are now memorialized. 
Do, well, do they this, should be. In Pecker Park is one yes. way it's been done. And I believe also in the cemetery that exists in East Concord off Cemetery Street, I think that there's a large monument stone to the Pecker family too. But very few still say they're from Peckerville. Uh, my dear friend Mark Zibarowski, who lives in East Concord, will he say claims so. to be from Peckerville? Yes, he does, and he admits I, that. Well, I when I learned this story, which was very recent, and it's still evolving for me. I want to get more details. So do I. Yes, and I'd love to do a fuller uh, yes, like, yes. podcast or something. About I'm sure it. you would. <laughs> um, uh, I asked my friend Mark, who is just a wonderful human being and roams the streets downtown because Zibarowski and Associates, his company, owns I think 18 or 19 buildings in Concord, and he's been a magnificent landlord in Concord, but also influencer when the city came to think of how it should reconstruct its main street, which is one of the most important contributions in recent year this um, city and its um, leaders have made to Concord, I think. And he's a wonderful guy. And knowing he lives off exit 16, I saw him at Barley House because I go there on Friday nights with For dear friends. sandwiches, sure. Yes, yeah. just to make sure to That's, conclude the week course. the way it ought to be. Of course. By raising a glass Starts of my Starts at Beaver friends. Meadow on Monday. Yes. Mark refers to the crew of friends that gather on Barley at Gut Barley on Friday is his swarm, a dear group of friends that um, celebrate each week there. And he doesn't call them Peckerites, huh? No, not yet. Huh. Um, and I said to him, Mark, what would you call the neighborhood where you live? And he grinned from ear to ear and said to me, Peckerville. It's my 13-year-old brain. Oh, are you kidding me? Are you? That's perfect timing. <laughs> oh, it's time for some pigs in a blanket after that one. Oh, do I make you randy, baby? Do I? You have been listening to NH Unscripted. I am your happy, happy host, Ray Dudley, in studio today with me. I'm so joyful and glad to say it. Attorney Jim Rosenberg, thank you for coming by, my friend. You have been listening to NH Unscripted. We are coming to you from the studios of the WKXL bunkers buried deep beneath the city. 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and for you folks in Manchester, 101.9 FM. You can find this show out at nhtalkradio.com. There's archives out there of this show and all of the other great programs that happen here. Woo, that was a bellyful. We'll see you Mondays and Fridays, 9 a.m. That's where we are. WKXL. Bye-bye.